Welcome to the Axis Effect Podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Axis Entertainment. Super excited to be here with Matt Ranta. He is the partner and head of Ecom and Digital Strategies for Nimble Gravity. Matt, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm excited to have a great conversation and look forward to it. I love that we record our shows and they just come out right after. And like we're just chatting about how freezing cold it is everywhere. So um, oh, we could uh, come up and talk about <laughs> digital. But I mean, this is good. I mean, we're talking about prior to the show about the cold and the weather and everything going on. But I, so this is like maybe a weird thing to say, but I feel like when we're stuck at home, like, the pandemic, everybody's freaked out because we are being almost in a Midwest shutdown with this huge storm. But I really feel like we're all working from home. And the fact that we have access to data, and we don't need to be in an office to make decisions. I feel like this is a good time to talk about data-driven decisions and strategies because you know we're in a whole new world of working from home right now anyways. And I'm always big. And I just, you know, last year during COVID, I had my book and my article come out of you know, lean into technology. And I'm so big on lean into tech. And because we were stuck at home during pandemic for two, three years, we were leaning more into tech and we did have to rely more on data. But we need to rely on data to make smart decisions anyways. So I love the fact that people like, oh my God, we're on shutdown holidays. No, no, you need to look at your data because that's going to be the key to moving forward. And I love that we were chatting about some of this before we actually came on the show. Yeah, 100%. You know, data is greater than opinions, right? It, it leads to the truth always. Whether you're following financial data, you're following clickstream data for a website, you're following data about user cohorts that are downloading your mobile application or game and how you can maximize those, whatever it might be, there's always an answer inside your data that can drive your business forward and help you grow. So couldn't agree more. Well, I think it's because like, you know, I was telling you, you know, we manage a platform in front of our clients and everybody, everybody's like, oh, I did this. I did that. Oh, whatever. Even though our numbers drop, we did that launch it has nothing to do with this, but it actually does. If we could target what you launched, what you did, that correlate at the exact same time, your numbers started dropping, then whatever it was that we did publicly is not working. It was done the wrong way because you cannot argue against data. You can't sit there and say, I didn't drop my stats of my unique users or visitors to my site or downloads on my app, you have to look at the data from all points and to figure out, okay, target where this is coming from because data doesn't lie. And they always say content is king. And we've been saying that for 10, 15 years. It's true. But the base and root of why content is king, honestly, it's data. Data drives content. Data is really the backbone of what makes content king. So basically, yeah. data is probably what's in the chest. It's always the queen it's behind every key. So let's just be honest here. <laughs> yep. The contact may be key, but the real decision maker is the data behind it. A hundred percent. Yeah, you can produce all the content you want in the world, but if you aren't generating traffic with it, which becomes data, if it isn't leading to conversions, if it isn't influencing people, which becomes data, right? Like you can watch how somebody interacts digitally with a piece of content and then moves on to making whether that be a purchase decision or an investment or whatever, you can see that flow of data, right? And that tells you then that's a good piece of content. I should create more content similar to that 
Versus if you create content that has the opposite reaction, right? No traffic, no flow, isn't involved in your purchase path or, or decisioning paths, then you obviously are getting that feedback as data that tells you stop making this kind of content, right? And I think that can flow into just about anywhere. I've got a great example of utilizing data in a past role where I was able to increase total revenues for a business by 32%, literally just by getting into analytics and understanding the business and where business was happening for us globally. This is what I'm not to cut you off. This is with nimble gravity. Let's I'm gonna roll back. I'm just gonna unroll back a little bit. Nimble gravity, because we're talking data. You are the partner head of ecom digital for nimble gravity. So I think we're gonna get so far down the rabbit hole on digital, but I do want to take a minute to talk about this is your expertise and why we're having this conversation is because your company, Nimble Gravity, is does data. So let's first like pause this for a second. Like, what is nimble gravity? So as we move forward, it kind of makes more sense while we're having the conversation. Absolutely. More than happy to talk about that. So nimble gravity is a consultancy founded in Denver, Colorado, uh, with offices in Guadalajara, Mexico, Mexico City, and Medellin, Colombia. Now we also have employees in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And we specialize really in six different areas. So we have data science, we have analytics and BI, we have what we call global engineering. And the best way to think about that is people talk about outsourced talent, they talk about nearshoring, offshoring, these kinds of things for development teams. When we talk about global engineering, we talk about finding the best talent available for the particular application that is being done and having that geographically located as close as possible to the client that that work is being done for. So that creates a better synergy than just saying, well, we have a team in India when you're in the United States and there's 14 and a half hours difference in your time zone, right? Then on top of that, we also have a strategy operation that does both organizational and management strategy. And we have my two areas, which are the e-commerce and digital transformation areas. So it's quite a broad group, but the best way to think about us is a consultancy that sits somewhere in between the big consulting firms like a BCG or a McKinsey or Bain, and then executional firms that come in and do the web development work, the engineering work, the software development. We're actually able to do all of that and and more and position ourselves into a better place to be more than just recommenders. We're executors as well. So we've got a fantastic business. Uh, We believe, as I said earlier, that data is greater than opinions. And uh, we're around 70 people at this point in time. So Wow, that's amazing. I love that you're doing the e-commerce side of this because I think a lot of buying patterns, a lot of sales, a lot of everything, it comes down to data. And I feel like there's such a disconnect. People say, oh, well, we're marketing this. We sent this email. We did this. We did that. But I think people really don't put enough emphasis. They don't take data as seriously. I think everybody... I always say don't lead by your ego. Just because I know my space, just because I know mm-hmm. PR, I know technology, I know all this, it does not mean I should ever say, oh, we're doing this because I know what I'm doing. I know my customers know I have the power of data will make or break a company if you ignore it and you don't heed to what it's saying. And I don't feel like people take that seriously enough to make the proper decisions as leaders in their companies. Yeah, no, there's some real power in in an ability to say, I don't know, but let's find out. And that's what I love about data is you should approach everything with a testing mindset, a mindset of, I want to go in and figure out what the data is going to tell me. Historically, what has the data 
told us so far and what can we learn from that and take from that and make that into a decision for the future and then realizing that even though from that decision point forward you might not have the same result set that you had historically right so you need to test and iterate and always be in an improvement mindset yeah i mean it's critical so you guys and and how are you running this like through um the company are you guys laying down the ai and the platform to drive data behind the website or are you guys more on the consultancy side of explaining what to do and what pieces the company needs in order to drive revenues forward? Well, it could be both of those realistically and more. Sometimes we'll come into a business where they already have platforms in place and we're being asked to help make improvements, help them grow, evaluate them from a, an acquisition standpoint or a buyout standpoint. And then you're looking at what they have. Do they have Google Analytics? Do they have a data environment from a big data standpoint? What can you learn about them from both internal and external data in order to make some decisions around that? And what can you then help them do from a growth marketing perspective, from a total business growth perspective? So that can happen. Or it can be something from scratch. We recently helped a clothing brand launch their first other website. Right. And this is talking to founders who are non technical founders and they need to understand what metrics and what measurement tools and instrumentation they're going to need to have on their website in order to push that forward over time. Right. Getting them set up with an initial launch of a Shopify platform and some Google Analytics and then starting to talk about how to utilize those to improve the business. Right. So it can be a wide variety of, of different areas. Yeah. So I know like, you know, just looking at all the analyst report, everybody's all in this digital, how important it is more than ever. But then there was saying 2022, the digital transformation now takes twice as long and costs twice as much more than anticipated. And is that driven by people lack of knowledge of how to implement it? Or is that just because as technology is constantly evolving, it's getting a little bit harder to accept the digital transformation and what you need? But in the long run, you're better off for it. I mean, do you know where? I know that's like Gartner has been saying that. Forrester has been saying that. I'm not connecting how it takes longer and it's more expensive now just because, you know, in 2022 than it was two or three years ago. Unless it's AI and all the VR and all of the SEO on top of it. I mean, we all advance in technology. But where are we at right now with this compared to like two, three years ago? Well, I think there's a couple different answers to that question. One is, is that there is so much more technology in place typically within an organization that wiring everything together, so to speak, connecting all the pipes, making sure that everything is functioning and working appropriately at the speed that you need it to work at, that's transferring data from one platform to another, that can take a good long time, right? And especially it becomes, you know, dependent upon those number of systems, but then Additional to that, say you're a business, I hate using this word, I wouldn't say antiquated, but that is mostly non-digital, right? Perhaps you have a big field organization that does sales for you, or you're in an industry that has relied on you know, face-to-face in-store encounters or, or something of that for a really long time and haven't had a huge digital presence. The overwhelming amount of choice that you have to go through in determining what your platform should look like is more difficult than ever, right? And that's why having trusted advisors who are versed in those areas can be a a critical move in determining 
how fast you're going to go, right? Can you have somebody come in who has recently implemented some of the systems that you're looking at or that has run into challenges with some of the systems that you're looking at and tell you about those and help guide you down a path that will make things more smooth for you? I'm sorry. I was just, I was just, you know, as we're talking about, you know, we're talking about making things easier for you, but then you know, we're looking at more advanced technologies like AI, machine learning. I mean, are these, I mean, obviously they're just trends. I know they're buzzwords for a lot of people, but doesn't this advanced technology make digital transformations and data more competitive and adaptable? Because obviously there's not one model that fits every company out there. But is that really future-proofing your business model by bringing in and layering AI and layering machine learning into the whole digital transformation? It certainly can. I think when you're talking about machine learning, you're talking about things that you have to teach over a long period of time, right? You're teaching a program how to interpret data and and how to understand the inputs that you're giving it and and then how to output, you know, smart, intelligible data beyond that as well and and give you something back when you're coupling those those items together. And that process in and of itself can take a while, but it then can become proprietary to your business and help you win in, in front of others, right? There's some definitely interesting things that are happening with AI right now. Like uh, you've probably heard about Chat GPT and the you know storm of information that's come out about that over say I, I guess about the last month in total. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to play around with that or not, but it can do everything from write actual code that you could put into production. It can draft contracts. It can create content like we were talking about earlier and provide you know a speed to market and a speed of execution that is is pretty frightening and incredible at the same time it can also do things like help you automate processes that you have had manually done in the past right and and so that can create a speed and a differentiator for an organization as well well i so i know there's an aa i forgot what the program was where you can literally go on fill in a few words give it the data it needs, and it will write a press release, a case study for you spot on. Mm-hmm. And I forgot what that, I forgot if that was a few different companies, if that was this one particular AI one. And I'm trying to find that because I'm very curious on the AI side, can I just plug and play a few things and spin out a press release or a case study that we need to pitch for our clients? Because it's all going down to data. And I, then I get this, you get the other side of the spectrum. Oh my God, we're human beings. We're going to be replaced. There's no job market. AI is going to be replaced. No, that's not true. I see AI from my standpoint, you know, being in PR as an agency. I'm running an agency and I have staff as a CEO, my smart decisions based on data. So, which means if I could find that, that, that could support, implement, or enhance my agency and my staff to better. For our clients, productivity, you know, getting more stuff done with, you know, less bandwidth, num- so many hours in a day, we're up late at night cranking through to get stuff done. I think it's a tremendous tool to use. I, you know, I can, I've been trying to find that AI program that everybody's been talking about. So I do think AI is that we need to lean into tech. I think tech scares people, but I think we need to lean into it and realize it's not there to replace us and drive us away. It's there to help enhance our productivity to do better when it comes to data content, regardless of whatever AI covers. It's a layer on everything we do in life. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good way to look at it. You, you're freeing up somebody's time to concentrate on other challenges and other problems and, and to advance your business in other ways. I wouldn't ever look at those kinds of things as opportunities to you know, strictly cut costs and, and yeah. get, move people out. So one of those AIs that you're talking about, there's a company called Jasper.ai. And Jasper is capable of writing the type of content that you're, you're thinking about. Just the other day, I was talking with a, a friend of mine and demonstrated to them that it can write you know, a 600-word article on a topic in seconds, literally in seconds, right? And, and rip it out. And while you might not want to rely on that to be unique content for your site, it's a great start for you as a content creator, right? It can give you an idea, it can give you an outline, a framework to go with, and you can go in and change that and make sure that it's unique, make sure that it's voiced in your voice and and add any additional perspective to it that it didn't capture for you. And that chat GPT on chat.openai.com is fantastic like that too. You know, we were talking about party planning earlier before we got on on the call and you know, you can go in and imagine you're an event planner and you wanted to create content pages on your website about things like what are 10 great Christmas party ideas? That program will output 10 ideas for you quicker than you can probably come up with them yourself. Do you have 10 ideas for your New Year's Eve party, right? It'll do the same thing. And then you can start to utilize those inside of your presentations. Now, if five, six, 700 people go ask it the same exact question, are they all going to be unique? Is it going to function for SEO? I don't think any of us know the answers to that yet. It's probably going to be a challenging future for all of us in, in figuring that kind of stuff out. But it's a great way to even just spur the imagination when you need to. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's such a, I just feel like people talk about big data, you talk about AI, but like people got to really take away all the buzzwords and all the new cool stuff and look down to the um, basics of data and the digital mm-hmm. transformation. And I know there's four main areas of digital transformation. I want to talk to you about that. I know there's challenges to everything when it comes to technology. When it comes to business transformation, obviously, no one size fits all. So when it comes to the data, it's just really finding to scale based on where you are and where you want to grow to. The data doesn't fit one size for all. There's different layers of data transformation. It's really finding the right process of what works for you, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're talking about you know the differences in process transformation, business model transformation, domain, and then cultural transformation that you experience inside of digital transformation in total, you know, data is actually resident in all of those right? How are you doing a process then dictates what data are you capturing, right? Do you have a manual offline process for acceptance of, you know, faxed in orders to your business and you're a major multinational corporation? Maybe you need to change that. Do they come in in PDFs and email and then somebody does a process where they manually enter those into your order system? Maybe you need to change that and have a machine read those and input all that information and and bring that data in quicker, right? And and process those quicker. Data transformation in that kind of environment can be super powerful, super interesting, right? Domain transformation, you're talking about moving data from, you know, something like an on-prem to a cloud. And and that's a, a probably lesser critical area for most businesses these days. I think a lot of people have kind of made that migration at this point in time, but there are probably some smaller businesses that, that still do. 
And then cultural transformation, that has data resident in it as well, right? And I don't think people capture that a lot when they're talking about digital transformation. What is a cultural transformation? What is that exactly? So imagine you've done a business model transformation and you've moved a a process online or into a digital domain that used to be handled by people that received commissions for it or that thought their livelihood was based upon their ability to execute what's now being executed digitally. You have to go through a cultural transformation with those people, kind of like what we were just talking about, where you're communicating the change to them in advance. You're talking about it as it's happening. You're talking about how it's going to impact them and how things might change. And then you're collecting information on the backside too of how did that change actually impact you? Do you feel like it went well? These kinds of things. So anytime you've done a digital transformation, I firmly believe that folks also need to do a cultural kind of checkpoint and and weather check to see if things are going well internally, right? You've got a whole group of people who you've just changed processes on, you've just changed their world, and you need to go back in and check with them and get the data from those people as to what's their level of satisfaction. Do they feel like the transformation landed in the way that it needed to do? Are you still having high employee satisfaction? All of these kinds of things. So you might be looking at internal employee satisfaction surveys. You might be looking at MPS internally, these kinds of things. And then you're also looking at anecdotal information, all of which are data points. And you should be collecting that and understanding that and using it to measure the success of your digital transformation. So let me ask you a question. So I know we deal with a lot of mobile, a lot of digital, I mean, the whole distribution model, at least with our firm, with our clients. And I know if a lot of the studios, they look at mobile, you know, it's just, it's not immediate revenue source. It's an R&D. If you're just getting into it, is the digital and the data, you know, you're layering all these programs and make obviously life easier and to give you the data you need for better leadership into your company. Is it considered an R&D? I mean, it's not an immediate direct correlation of revenues. It kind of is if you know where your targeting is. But for companies who are looking into the whole data revolution, I mean, is this more considered a ongoing R&D move or is this more of just like, your basic toolbox to get your company in the right direction to know where you're going and what you're selling and who's looking at you and you know the whole cycle the sales cycle it's a super broad and interesting question and you know i think oh, too that, broad, probably <laughs> no i i think that it it's probably company dependent right in 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 what you're doing I, for one, am a heavy user of my mobile device for for just about everything. I've made very large purchases mobily. I utilize my mobile device to do research while I'm in transit from one place to another. I then bring that device with me everywhere as well, right? So... As a smart business, there are platforms that you can utilize that will then tie together a individual user across multiple devices, right? So you can use a customer data platform, a CDP, and you'll understand then that me, Matt Ranta, I have a phone, I have two computers, I have iPads, and I have multiple people in my household. I actually even have set-top box devices that I interact with and can be served advertising on, right? And understanding my total domain as an individual 
is critical to a lot of businesses. I think Allbirds has actually done a fantastic job as a business in understanding that, right? I love and, that you brought up Allbirds, like the shoes Allbirds. Totally, yeah. So long story short, I have a client in New York. I went to the Allbirds launch party and yeah. met with the marketing people back in LA before I moved to AZ and went to the store, talked to their CEO and everything. They gave me a pair of Allbirds. And I got, it's weird because I, I've, nobody's ever brought up Allbirds. It's like, you know, so many brands <laughs> we talk about Disney, you know, what's going on Legoland? What's going on with, you know, AG, you know, what's going on with the NBA football, you know, everything. But Allbirds is such a random brand that I actually know about. So I know they're building sustainable shoes, comfortable shoes, yep. based on sustainable, recyclable stuff. But they are talking there for a brand, a product brand. They are very heavy on data, on their sales cycles. <laughs> there are new brands coming yes. out, who their customers are, where they're going, what they're buying. They are like Bible to data on their entire product line. That's so odd. You just brought they that They're incredibly intelligent about it. So spend some time on their site. And then if you have a device like an Apple TV or a Roku or something like that, guess whose commercials you're going to start getting? Allbirds. Allbirds. Like, right? like and, everything we do though. Like if like, I was data. On, but I was online. It's so weird because we're always complaining. Oh my God, I was online looking at, you know, Tacova boots. I was looking at, you know, for cars or random books or whatever, looking for new cell phones. And all of a sudden, Amazon, Instagram, Facebook, all my social, I'm seeing nothing but ads of stuff. Okay, this is like a really bad example. I was on Neiman Marcus's website at Bergdorf Goodman's, bought a dress yep. or something. I'm constantly getting all their ads. That's so why I'm like, no, no, I don't want to see. I see it too much. I don't need to see this ad. I, I get that data. I, 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 and all the commercials, which is kind of the next level of data when you're now seeing it on your Apple, your Netflix, and whatever you're at. But to me, I would think the data is smart. Remember way back when we first started with the whole CRM industry, where if I go oh, yeah. on looking at something, they know who I am, what I'm targeting, and they have that data so they're delivering to me what else it's like-minded, whatever I'm buying, my purchasing pattern. I'm thinking yep. if I'm buying, this is my breaking, this is my, my nerdy break in data. If I'm buying one thing, I don't want to see ads of Apple, Apple iPhones. I want to see other things related that I may be of interest. I'm seeing the same to make things to dumb it down. Neiman Marcus yep. ads everywhere. I don't need a Neiman Marcus ad. If I bought a bag or I bought, then you show me shoes, show me accessories, show me other like brand of stuff, whether it's sustainable, but they're missing that small portion of they're just driving the same ad at you over and over where I bought it. I don't want that ad. I'm not seeing anything close to my personality, which I'm going to spin off into a, a whole stupid NFT conversation in a second. <laughs> what they're really meant for versus the bullshit I just copied a JPEG and spent a million bucks on. A data, we have AI. We should be more advanced to your point. Why am I seeing the same ads when I should be seeing everything within my ecosystem that is related to what I bought versus the same place I bought it from? Totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. To finish what I was going to say about Allbirds, they stopped advertising to me after a very finite period of time, right? Unlike some of those retargeting ads that you're just talking about that you see online where they just keep coming at you and coming at you. I literally get ads sometimes for things that I bought two days ago, right? And it's it's a retargeting program from a display advertising campaign, which I 100% agree with you is 
one horribly silly like i don't want to see that i already that's bought amazon. it right, that, right? That, actually that i mean <laughs> that is actually spitting out during the holidays from amazon you want amazon you're going to see yeah. that retargeting everywhere those are the bots from amazon unfortunately and what a tremendous waste of money too, but we all right? need amazon but we have to pay the price now to be followed everywhere we go from we bought two three days ago yeah, people would be much better off doing cross sell and recommendations and upsell. And, and, you know, people also bought these kinds of things through that type of medium in those types of instances. And they have that data, right, Sarah? Like they know I bought that. Why are they not pumping that data in there and stopping that ad? That's my point with Allbirds is Allbirds said, you didn't buy this after you've been on our site and we showed you ads. We're going to quit targeting you. We're going to quit spending money on you. So somewhere in their decisioning process, utilizing their data, they've determined that there's a break point where there's a conversion tip or not based on how many ads they've shown to people and no had them convert. Resource. If they hit you up two yep. or three times and you're not going to purchase, we can't piss you off to where you hate all birds, you'll never click through, you'll never buy. We need to right. do that. If I can't get my conversion within two to three clicks from you, that means you are not a good prospect. You're not right now. Maybe keep you on my holiday list, but I can no longer target you on a daily basis. Totally. That is the smartest thing I've seen from a company, not 99% of the other stuff where we're constantly getting spammed and hit up over and over and over. And that algorithm, it's data breaks, which falls on the Instagrams, the Facebook, Meta. It falls on each individual company tracking your data. They're so aggressive that it's actually pushing me away to where I'm hitting spam, spam, reporting it as spam. Yeah. So many spam and red alerts, you, you're not being placed anymore. So it, it, it's the data smart. It's the users implementing the data that don't know what they're doing that's damaging the companies because the data is now Correct. not what they needed to do in the first place. Correct. Yeah. You're right on. Like if, if you are not utilizing your data intelligently to help you make those kinds of decision points, then at the very least, you have an opportunity. And if you're doing it intentionally, well, then I think you're probably doing the right thing and hitting the spam button. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it yeah. definitely makes sense to be smarter. We, we were all about smart technology. Awesome. We all use it. We all need it. But I think it's the companies and the marketing people, whoever is behind the integration, they don't know what they're doing. And that's why you know, some people get like, hey, we're pissed off. We're spending this money on data and then all this stuff. Why are our numbers dropping? Because you're not using it the right way. There should be a two to three hit rule. And then you got to stop hitting that person up. They're not interested. And it doesn't exactly. matter. And it may be a follow-up. What do you like or not like about the product? Whatever. I understand the surveys, the quick down, you know, two, three question surveys. But I feel like we have so much advanced technology given to us that I feel like there's a break in the education of how to use it. And that's where the disconnect is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime I get an ad for something that I bought within the last 48 hours, it, it drives me crazy. And I can't understand why any company who has both of those pieces of data about me, right? One is I'm interested. The other is I bought, aren't connecting those. They've got to start doing that. So this is so I'm going to kind of pivot over to like the whole NFT market, which is such a joke to me. I mean, I get it. We were coming off COVID. There was this whole wild, wild west, new technology, we're free, you know, screw you. We're going to spend money, brag about it. Look how great I am, which everybody's bragging that they have all these 
hey, I just spent $2 million, $3 million on a board eight yacht club. It's a damn monkey. It's a JPEG. I can screenshot right now this image on this podcast. And look, it, you can have a JPEG hanging behind you. You have anything. It's just easy to screenshot and push stuff out there. JPEGs were used the wrong way. People were all over it. There's millions of lawsuits, tons coming down. I've seen two companies lose a lot of their data. And we're looking at data here. Drop 30, 40% users, uniques on their website since they launched their NFTs. They're using the NFTs the wrong way. It was too late in the game to use the NFTs. They're not being used the way they should. And people are so fighting. We're going to have an NFT comeback. We're going to make money. The market two years ago, when there was nothing out of COVID, a pandemic, we're dropping stupid money, wasting money, making money, lawsuits, losing money. It was just nobody knew. Right now, they're like, oh, well, so-and-so is using the JPEG. Yeah, NFT, some of the fashion, Gucci, LVMHs, but their JPEGs is, are their NFTs. I'm going to make an avatar, whatever. It, it's a JPEG, mm-hmm. the NFT, right? Whatever I use. My shopping patterns, I have a physical good. So you're an NFL fan, we're in NFL season. NFL has their whole new NFTs coming out. I have an NFT. I'm going to get hit up with what news is coming out, who's being traded, what's going on, preseason games, points, merch, my buying patterns for tickets, merch I want to buy, what newsletters I want to sign up for. NFTs need to be used as a data-driven utility. If I'm going to give you that, then I'm using your data, not what we're talking about. I'm seeing what I bought two days ago. I'm seeing actual data, your buying patterns, your habits, your spending, what you like, what you don't like. So I could cross. So if you like the Cowboys or you like the Pats, whatever, I know that you're following that team and these other teams that are like that team and stats and players, I'm going to cross sell. That's how you use data. That's what an NFT should be used for. Not the bullshit of, hey, give me two, 300 bucks and come on my Twitter to hear me speak. That's not a value add. That's going to piss me off. Make me not want to go on your website. That's not going to make me want to follow you because then you've just gone down the rabbit hole of sales, smarmy sales to make money from people because you don't understand NFTs. And it drives me crazy because I'm seeing this right now with companies who you missed the market, that train left the station, let it go, focus on what you're doing and what you're good at. And I'm battling this exact situation with a client right now because the NFTs were not launched the right way. They're not being used the right way. And I'm seeing numbers drop. And like our fight is if you're looking at data and you're looking mm-hmm. at this and the data is dropping, you can't, like, you can't put on blinders and defend that. You can't sit there and fight against data. No, you should you should never fight against yeah. data, whether it's about an NFT launch or it's about the conversion of your website and your sales on that, or whether it's, you know, information that indicates certain cohorts of your customers don't like certain things, right? It is related to new technology. It is related to an NFT. You want to do an NFT, yeah. do it. I'm all for it. Make sure you have utility driven data in the background to get and scrape what you need. So you know who your customers are, where they're buying, where they're going, what they want before they know it, and you could deliver. That is where I think the NFTs are brilliant because it's also not just, hey, I'm going to go surf and shop and then I get all these bullshit ads. I am engaging with a cool NFT. I can make it whatever I want. You have the engagement on the front end 
because you're pulling the data on the back end. It's easier with data because people are more engaging to give it to you versus just, you know, cookies and scraping by where you were. And here's, I mean, I just feel like there's a right and a wrong way to use technology. And I feel like if we take a big fad that's huge and be in lawsuits and as a complete mess and just ruining companies, turn it around, be a little more intuitive and figure out, use it for the data. And I can't figure out what I'm seeing and why people can't understand. Those are a brilliant use of data utilities. That's almost a opt-in to tell you what I'm doing because I'm engaging on the front end. It's experiential. The front end of NFTs is experiential and it's only there to do the right thing to give you the data on the back end. Mirroring those two, owning that intersection with data and what's new and trendy, NFTs, is a brilliant sweet spot if you know how to do it and you understand both sides of where you're coming and going. Yeah, yeah. NFTs that was are, my lecture are, of the day. <laughs> are really fascinating in a lot of ways because, you know, an NFT, a non-fungible token is, you know, a unique digital item. And it's kind of developed from this world of is an NFT art, is digital art art like there's all these arguments and and the fact is is that art has been around digital art has been around for going on more than two decades at this point in time nfts are a you know a path from that and they represent the same kind of value proposition that actually any art does in in a way if you think about it right and take the mona lisa right so the Mona Lisa is a unique painting. There's one of them in the world. There are people that have tried to make copies of them, but they can't replicate exactly how it was painted, what it looks like underneath, what, it, what, what was painted over the top of, you know, is there something on the back, all these kinds of things, right? And so that item in and of itself is also a unique fungible token, which people place value on and then... You know, obviously a, a private individual doesn't own the Mona Lisa, but should a private individual own a painting, they can trade that at an agreed value between themselves and whoever else it might be, whether that's an auction house or a friend or, or whatnot, and get something of a similar value back to them, whether that be cash or if you're trading one painting for another, something of that nature, right? So NFTs have that same aspect to them, but then they do have the data on top of them as well. How many viewers? Who owns it? What does that person do? What else do they own from an NFT perspective? All of these kinds of things. And you can start to marry up those aesthetic traits that that the folks have and understand those, which becomes data right? that you're talking about. And that's powerful. And can you identify users who like particular NFTs, who own particular NFTs that have particular traits that do other things, right? So that becomes an interesting pivot point between how a NFT might function well in translating into other data that can be utilized by a business, an individual, whatever it might want to do in order to monetize that, grow it, drive change, whatever it might be. Yeah. So but I, I think love it, that. But if, if people took that intelligence into NFTs prior to the NFT market getting out of control, 
They'd be like digital playing cards. I don't care that you have a board ape yacht club monkey. I don't really give a shit. It doesn't mean anything to me. But if you're an NFL and I'm NBA and I want your three, I'm going to do a sports trade. I'm going to give you three NBAs for two QBs and one running back, you know, from my forward and my pointer. But those are going to come with such tremendous buying power, the data, what you bought, where you bought, your, what you like outside of sports. Then it becomes a whole different trade of data because you're still in the sports. And I know that you like football. I know you like basketball. I think there's so much power behind doing an NFT the right way. It hasn't been done. I don't even know if we're the first ones having this conversation. People think, well, it's never going to be a trading card, but it could have the power more than anything else if the database behind it is there but it's not because nobody's done it. It's just been, let's do a quick land grab and make some quick money and look at our ego. I bought a $5 million. Yeah, nobody gives a shit. You're just an idiot. Like my biggest <laughs> my biggest pet peeve in people, this is leadership, my leadership issue. When they make stupid decisions and brag and they don't want to hear the truth and they're just, they can't make smart decisions. And then my favorite thing is when people actually say no, going to stand back, ask the hard questions, walk away of the big billion dollar idea that's just going to fall through the roof in like within a year because they're smart enough to know what the utility is behind that. And they're going to wait it out until that's available because that's where the power of content and data really lies. So I'm kind of like in that, my best and worst pet peeves of leadership and companies. Understanding the foresight of how this is going to work for me, can it work for me? taking the time to find the right people to sort it out. Cause I don't need to be on the wave right now. I will wait till the wave crashes till I have all the tools I need to ride up again because I did it the right way. That's where I think yeah. industry is missing the boat on data. And if we're just going to pick on NFTs, like you said, there's tremendous value on an NFT. If it's done by the right person with the right data, that is 1% of the universe of NFTs if not less, that actually is driving that data. They're loading up that avatar, that NFT on that person with so much. It's like, that's invaluable on a trade. Nobody's doing that on the market. That's what bothers me when people try to talk like they're leaders and intelligent and understand the industry. They're just people who decided, hey, I'm going to be an NFT leader. I'm going to be an expert in Web3 because it's new, it's hot, and I can make some quick money. No, that doesn't make you a leader. It just destroys credibility in companies. So this is my whole pet peeve when it comes to companies in new space. I love that we're having this conversation. Yeah. You're spot on. This is a data-driven future, data-driven economy. What we have is not being utilized the right way. And I don't know if it's just stupidity, lack of intelligence. We're just not there or we're just trying to weed out all the stupid people who thought they were leaders taking money, trying to sort out what it could do, but it was never used in the way it needed to be used. And I'm just, I mean, I know that's not a nice thing to say, but it is the truth. It's what we're all thinking that we're not saying. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, I think, challenged perspectives around NFTs. And I, and I think it's because of some of the extreme amounts of money that have been spent on things that, that people are struggling to understand the potential for still, right? 
you know, you bring up an interesting point around sports trading cards. And there actually is a company, I think, that's doing a, a really pretty good job around that exact space. They're called So Rare, S O R A R E. And that's exactly what they do. But what they have layered on top of that is a community of people who are trading the same soccer trading cards. And what happens is they'll introduce a NFT trading card that only so many shares of are available, right? So Erling Holland is a fantastic soccer player, plays for Manchester City. And he has a card there. And only so many people get to buy a portion of that card and then have him on their team that they enter into competitions with and then build value around that. And then real-world data is brought back on top of that and affects the actual value of the NFT and then also affects the outcome of the games that are being played utilizing these cards and creates an environment where all of those things are mixed together. This company's almost making a billion dollars. There's 740 million at this point in time in revenue. And they have a a huge community uh, built around exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about. But if you ask the average person if they know about So Rare, I seriously doubt that very many people even do. Football is a perfect way for sports. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's like Messi has his own card now, but it's just, if you look at some industry's greatest people, leaders, actual leaders, they could post whatever the hell we want on social, but don't post their input on the NFT, the Web3. They're not posting shit that they're seeing. Like, this is a fad. Weed it out see through the fray and then I'll comment like and I you know when I look at like I'm just going to pick like you know like I know Mark was big in crypto Mark Cuban he's got his mm-hmm. you know he's doing his such great stuff with the um, pharma side of it but if you look at some of these people that we know we talk to you're not seeing them bullshit through this NFT market still in the past nine months they're talking about things that are substantial they're talking about things that make sense moving down the road people of true leadership aren't posting anything on these weird, stupid fads and three-letter words anymore. You don't see it because it is kind of a joke that you're so pushing, pushing it. I think you're somebody who knows an industry that's not even thought through. Like I'm, I now, like seriously, it's so funny. I now want to do a podcast on data-driven NFTs. Like, cause I just feel like, I just feel like we just, like, I'm talking about everybody missing the boat. Like, I think I just missed the boat. I want a data-driven NFT podcast because I feel what's tangible What's not tangible, what's moving and all over digital and mobile, the easiest thing that's moving around collecting data is an NFT. Data-driven anything is really your future. So I feel like I now need... Thank you. Because Matt, now you just decided to do a data-driven NFT on the podcast, which I think I need to have one as my co-host. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to learn from that and and listen to it. I think that's a fantastic topic. Yeah. (laughs) We just created our next podcast with you. and, and. Matt Rant is now my new co-host. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. I mean, I, <laughs> I just, Matt. I do love this. I do love this topic with you because you know data. You know how critical data is. You're not looking at fads and what's. You're looking at everything that's driven behind from sustainable technology fads. No matter what it is, you are the. You're talking about how everything is powered by data, and I feel Absolutely. like that is so critical across the board 
And I know we're running out of time, Matt, and I'm so sorry because I think I could go on forever with you, but I think I just created a new podcast with Matt Ranta and Nimble Gravity <laughs> on data-driven, <laughs> data-driven NFTs. Where can people find you? I mean, where can they find the company where they can find you directly? Yeah. So the, the two easiest places, our website, uh, nimblegravity.com. And then the easiest way to connect with me personally is on LinkedIn under Matt Ranta. R-A-N-T-A. I'd suggest those two. Yep. I think I called you David. I got so excited talking to you. You look like a David. <laughs> but I just, this is such a tremendous conversation out of the typical surface of what's going on. And I absolutely loved having you on the show. Yeah, it was my pleasure. I'm happy to have been a guest and uh, hope your audience gained some knowledge off of our conversation and uh, look forward to listening to your podcast. We just scratched the surface on this podcast. So I'm definitely looking forward to having more shows and more conversations with you. I know you are freezing your butt off in Colorado right now, (laughs) but um, it was so good to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to having you back again. Matt Ranta with Nimble Gravity. This is Sarah Miller, and we'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Axis Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaxiseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.